0: Praise God, that was amazing, uh, guys. Welcome to Doxa. Good morning. My name is Ronnie. If I haven't met you yet, I'm one of the pastors of the church here, and then specifically, I get to work with our our college students in Salt Company. So. Really excited to open up the Bible with you guys this morning. That's kind of what we do. So if you got a Bible, pull them out. We're going to be in, in Luke chapter 1. Maybe your neighbor will let you share with you if you don't have one. If you don't have a Bible of your own, the, one of the greatest gifts we could give you is a Bible, and you can get one on the way out at the welcome table. But Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be. And let me let me kind of point backward for a second and catch some of you guys up on where we've been, and then I'll tell you what we're doing this morning. So this whole semester, we've been working through the Gospel of Luke, so this account of the life of the the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, and we've been really hitting the high points and and moving pretty fast through it, honestly, and last week we got to this point where, where the big question on the table is finally, all right, after all this has happened, who is Jesus? Jesus asks his, his closest followers at the time, and Peter, one of them, he confesses that, that Jesus, you, you are God, you're the Messiah, you're the promised Savior of the world. And so we see his, his identity revealed as the King of Kings, the, the God of all of history. And then in this amazing moment, he goes up on top of this mountain, and it's, it's in your Bible it's called the Transfiguration, because we see this man, Jesus, transformed for a moment in his glory, and we see that not only is he a man, but he's also God, And that's where we left off last week. And in our first week of Advent, we see that Jesus, he is this promised king of hope, the God of all of history. What we're going to do this morning now is actually rewind back to the beginning. Some of you guys that have been keeping track, we actually skipped chapters uh, one and two of Luke with the birth narratives, and we saved it for this time. And we're going to move much slower through those for the next couple weeks. And so this morning we're going to look specifically at the promise of hope. So this announcement to Mary that she's going to have a baby and this baby is going to be the savior of the world. Next week we'll look at Mary's uh, song of hope and then the last week the birth of hope itself, so the nativity scene. And and just to point out to you guys kind of the transition from last week to this week, the shocking thing about Christianity, the shocking thing about Christmas is not that there once was a baby named Jesus who grew up to become a great king. There's been a lot of people that were born and kind of had humble beginnings, and then they grew up and accomplished a lot of things throughout their life, and then they had kind of a, a glorious career or whatever. That's that's not the shocking thing about Christmas. The shocking thing about Christmas is that the God of history, the King of Kings, the Lord of all the ages, actually became a baby. Do you see that? It's not that a baby grew up to be king. It's that a king who always existed, humbled himself, came down, what Jesse was praying in uh, Philippians chapter 2, and he became a little baby. J.I. Packer is kind of a prominent theologian of our time. He calls this the babyhood of God. The babyhood of God. There's some little babies running around in our church. Putting those two words together, the babyhood of God. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, a theologian and pastor during World War II in Germany, and he likes to point out that, guys, it's, it's God in that manger, God himself, and that's the, that's the paradox, that's the beauty of Christmas, that's the promise of hope that we're going to see today, and so here it is, here's the promise of hope, the title of this message, the title of this passage of scripture is that God would become a man to save humanity, This was his promise that he tells Mary. C.S. Lewis, uh, author, writer, he puts it this way. He says, the son of God became a man so that men and women could become sons and daughters of God. The son of God became a man so that we could be sons and daughters of God of God. And so what I want to do is actually read the passage to you first. So Luke chapter one is where we're going to be starting in verse 26 through 38. Let's read it. And then I'll tell you a little bit more about how we're going to break it up and tackle it together. But before I read it, be on the lookout for this repeated phrase of it will happen. He said it and then then it would, it will. Okay. It will be. Okay. So just look out for that language of will. And then also look out for this second word of, of behold, look you see what's happening. God in the manger, the babyhood of God, look, behold. Okay. Pay attention to those two little phrases. We'll read it and then we'll get going. Verse 26. Familiar story here. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. We remember her. "'He came to her and said, "'Greetings, O favored one, "'the Lord is with you.' "'But she was greatly troubled at this saying, "'and she tried to discern what sort of greeting "'this might be. "'And the angel said to her, "'Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, "'and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, "'and you shall name his, call his name Jesus. "'He will be great, and he will be called "'the Son of the Most High, "'and the Lord God will give to him "'the throne of his father David.' who was called barren, meaning she couldn't have kids, but now she's pregnant with this boy, John the Baptist. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. And then Mary's response. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. So this is a story, a story that that many of you have heard. And in my work today, what I think the, the text is asking us to do is to behold this stuff. We see that language of will. So this is, this is a promise that God is making. And he's saying, this will happen. This will come to pass. Mary asks, how can this be? And he says, God will do it. Nothing is impossible with God. It's God making a promise, this promise of hope. And then behold, the word there, it's, it's more than just look. It's to look with, with spiritual eyes. It's to see this baby in the manger and see, yes, the humanity of this baby in the manger, but also something much bigger, something much more significant, the babyhood of God, God in the manger. And so those first couple lines of that song, O Come All Ye Faithful, where it says, Come and behold him, born the king of angels. That's our goal this morning, to behold him. And as I was thinking about it, I, I don't know if you're anything like me, but during the Christmas season, there's so much advertising on TV of these things I need to buy, there's travel plans to make, there's relatives to see, there's a ton of food to eat for me, in my case. There's so many things, good things, but it can kinda clutter out my Christmas and I find myself saying, come on, let me behold him. I mean, come on, myself, come on. And I I hope that that'll happen for some of you today, that as we read this text together, more than just come, but, but we're telling ourselves, See this, look at this, look at this baby in the manger and let it change your life, this promise of hope. And so the way we're gonna do that is in three parts. First, I wanna point out to you the the grace of this promise. Second, the mystery of the promise. And then lastly, the glory of the promise. So we're gonna work back through the text in that order. First, the grace, behold the grace of the promise. Look back with me at, at verse 26. So in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But what's her response? Look at verse 29. She's terrified. Absolutely terrified. It says she's, she's greatly troubled in her soul. When most of us think about Christmas coming, we're we're filled with anticipation, we're filled with only good feelings, but where we have to start this morning is with the terror of Christmas, the frightfulness of Christmas. Christmas is, is frightful in a sense, if you're looking at it right, because God is visiting us. God is visiting this broken, messed up world, my broken, jacked up life, and Mary knew that. Okay, so Mary lived in a a time and a place and a people that had left God behind. They'd been unfaithful to him. They knew things about him, but they hadn't followed him with their whole hearts. And Mary kind of finds herself minding her own business. She's she's a total nobody in this time. And then an angel shows up. And something key to know about angels is that angels, we think of them as almost just like these like floating fairies and they have a light blue hue and they're just very sweet and very nice. And they just kind of come and sing songs to us. Angel literally means messenger, and throughout the Bible, you'll see the angels as these like mighty military messengers, not sweet fairies. They come to to announce things, And, and specifically, they announce God's judgment on sin, but then they also announce God's great salvation, and what we see here is this is actually an instance of an angel coming to announce God's salvation, but Mary doesn't know that yet, and so she's afraid. She's been caught. She's been caught. It's like, it's like God who created all things. It's like, okay, so just little illustration I'm making up as I go here. There's a, a somebody gives you an amazing mansion, an amazing house, this incredibly wealthy person. They give it to you and they say, here, have at it, enjoy this, and always remember me and do everything to honor me. And then they leave. And for 50 years or something like that, you live in the house and just totally trash it, totally forget the person who gave you the house. And it's a total mess. And 50 years later, if you looked at what you've done inside of that house, the way that you've lived inside of it, it bears no resemblance to the one who gave you the gift. It doesn't honor them. And then one day they show up. The doorbell rings. They walk in. It's an inspection, a visitation. You would be Terrified if you hadn't treated that house right. And Mary knows this. So she feels the terror of Christmas. Oh my gosh, God is visiting us. I see this military angel showing up. And so we have to wrestle first with with the fear so that we can be surprised by God's favor, God's grace. And that's what it says in verse 29. Let me read that for you again. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting, what sort of announcement is this? And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Favor. This is grace. The word there is, is the word we get our word charity from, and it doesn't mean that God has come and he is, he's being nice to you because you deserve it. He said, God has decided to show his favor on you. He's placing his favor on you. That's what grace is. It's an undeserved gift. So when we think about grace, it's not something we're entitled to. We're not not entitled to a Merry Christmas because of the way we've lived our lives, because of the way this world has lived apart from God. But God in his grace, this this is Christmas, he comes and he says, I'm showing favor with you. God with us doesn't terrify us because it's God with us in his grace, in spite of our sin. So we see Mary surprised. And I think she's surprised about two main things. The first is, is that thing in verse 30. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. She expects to hear a message of judgment, but instead she gets God's smile. God is, he's smiling upon her. And then the other thing is the way that the angel even addresses Mary. Again, who, who's a nobody. She's a woman, which in that time were not held in high esteem in culture. Christianity changes that, by the way. But in verse 28, look at how the the angel uh, greets her. He says this, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. That word greeting uh, could also be hail. So I don't know if you guys walk around saying that or not, like addressing people hail. You would hail to royalty, to a king. This is where we get the hark, the herald angels sing. That's like the other word that it gets translated in like the old King James. Hark, hail, greetings. He's addressing Mary as royalty. This military messenger, he comes down to earth and finds this lowly peasant girl and he says, hail to you, you favored one. Gabriel's treating her like royalty. Why? Because she is. She is now. And not because of anything she's done, but because of what God in Jesus is gonna do for her. So what's going on here? That's Mary's question, right? What sort of, of greeting is this? It's a greeting of grace. And let me package it like this for you. This is the gospel. This is Christianity. This is Christmas. It's, it's a hope that is in news, not advice. Our hope at Christmas, our hope in the incarnation of Jesus is in good news, not good advice. So Gabriel, this military messenger, he comes and he doesn't come with a, a suggestion, right? He doesn't say, hey, Mary, here's how you can make your life better. He says, hey, Mary, here's how your life will never be the same again. You are favored. This is news. It was news to Mary that God was favoring her, and this is what grace is. So behold, look at this, this promise at Christmas. We behold the gospel. Christmas doesn't offer us advice, there, you know, the, the ads that are going to come on TV about the, the dieting, Right? We all need to do it to, to some extent, maybe. Like last year in January, we did the whole 30. Me and uh, my wife, Caitlin, I did the whole 24. I really enjoyed it, honestly, because I ate bacon every day. I had uh, avocados every day. Um, I had, what else? I didn't eat cheese. I, can't, I think I might have eaten cheese. I don't think I was supposed to. But anyways, this, that has nothing to do with what I'm trying to say. Th- these dieting ads that are, that are going to come on, they, they promise you hope, Right? It's like, hey, hope for a better body, a better health, a better life. But the whole burden is on you to pull it off, right? To achieve that hope, you have to follow the plan. You have to follow the diet. That is very different from what Gabriel is announcing here. He says, oh, favored one, you're favored right now. Christianity is good news about something that's happened to you. Not good advice about how you can change your old life. So how can God show up smiling? And not frowning. How is it possible? Why is he able to be gracious? Well, let's look now at the mystery of this promise. The mystery of this promise. Pick it up in verse 31. So don't be afraid, Mary, you found favor with God. And behold, look at this, notice this. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. For some of you, that might sound like a mystery because you're like, what is he talking about? Well, that's why we do this. We're talking about it together. This is the mystery of the promise. Let's look at this from Mary's perspective for a second, okay? So ordinary Mary, Mary who's just walking around minding her own business. She's very unlikely. She says, who, me, a, a virgin? I'm not, even, I'm not even married yet. What are you talking about? I'm gonna have a baby, Ordinary. She's from Nazareth. Nazareth was kind of like hillbilly land in in Judea. This was the place where nobody important ever came from. But we see here, guys, the extraordinary breaking into the ordinary. It says in the sixth month. this, this This is real time. This isn't a fairy tale. This is six months after the other miracle of Elizabeth becoming pregnant with John the Baptist. This is the sixth month Herod is reigning. Luke has given us all these historical details. Very ordinary, very real, very historical, very miraculous. Miracle breaking through here. And now imagine this pregnancy for Mary. So I've, been, I've lived through one of these already. My wife was, was pregnant before we actually moved here. Uh, to Mad- We made a pit stop in Iowa and then moved here to Madison and I remember all the different things. She's pregnant again right now. We're having another baby in May. We find out this Friday, boy or girl. So very excited about that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it's, it's a miracle. Um, listen, so we don't know. I don't know what I was about to say. Oh, imagine this. Pre- <laughs> I'm having a baby. All right. Mary's, Mary's having a baby, Right. Mary's having a baby, and I want you to imagine this pregnancy with me. I remember the, the nesting, okay? The, the, the trying to get a home prepared. And we were just, we were in Ohio, and we had, we had Jack, and then 10 days later, we moved. And Caitlin is just going crazy, trying to, to get ready. The stress of, am I going to be able to be a mother? The weirdness of, like, this thing is inside of me growing and moving. Imagine what Mary is thinking here with this promise that you are going to give birth to the hero of your people, that's who the Messiah was. So she's unlikely, she's ordinary, but she's a part of a group of people, the Jews, that have been waiting for a hero, and she just got told that the baby that's gonna be growing inside of you is gonna be that very hero. What a mystery that Mary must be trying to wrestle with right now. But let's look at, at Gabriel's perspective. Okay, so we got Mary, but Gabriel. Gabriel is an angel, which means he's not a human being, but he's another created being. And here's the thing you need to know about angels is they existed before us. God created them before us. They're his messengers, remember? Gabriel had seen the war begin. Let me tell you what that means. Gabriel had seen the rebellion of humanity against God begin. He saw it first happen in heaven when a fellow angel named Lucifer or Satan or the devil didn't want to serve God, but wanted to usurp God, wanted to be God, wanted to be worshiped instead. So Satan leads this rebellion in heaven. He's cast out of heaven. Next, he goes to humanity and he invites them into the rebellion. He invites humanity to sin, to turn their backs on God. Gabriel had seen that happen, but then he had also seen this promise in Genesis 3.15, that one day, this promise of hope, God was going to send a hero He's going to send a fierce, conquering hero who would crush the head of Satan, the serpent. Gabriel had seen that. Then, throughout the whole Old Testament of the Bible, Gabriel had seen this promise progress. This is, you can think of it as the promise of the seed, Okay, Genesis 3 is pointing us that someday a a human being is going to be born that is going to reverse the curse, that's going to end the rebellion, that's going to bring humanity back to God. And so we see in Genesis chapter 12, this promise to Abraham and Sarah, who was also barren, that one day, one of their descendants is going to be a blessing to the whole world. Then we see that this person is going to be a powerful king when we see the promises to David, 2 Samuel 7. Here he says, this this baby in your womb, Mary, is going to be son of the Most High, the throne of David. His kingdom will have no end. And every child after that, there was always this anticipation with the Jews that, was this the one? Is this the hero? Will this boy grow up to be the one that's going to save us all? And then here comes Gabriel on the sea, and he says, Mary, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and he will be the king. He will be the Messiah. Jesse quoted first Peter when we were up here singing about our our living hope. And in first Peter chapter one, it says this salvation, this this promise, it's a a living hope that will change our lives right now. And throughout all of history says the prophets have been speaking about it. Your whole Bible is is foretelling this thing that there's going to come a hero. So the prophets have been speaking about it, but also the angels have been wondering about it. It's like they've been huddling around up there in heaven, like wondering, like, how is God going to pull this off? How is he going to bring good news to these sinners how is God going to end the rebellion and Gabriel is one of those angels and now he gets to make the announcement himself it's Jesus and it's coming through the womb of Mary so guys behold look at this see this guys our hope is hidden but it's unfolding our hope, so modern day, right now, the hope that we have as people, it is hidden, but it's unfolding. So from Mary's perspective, we can see that, that, that this, is, this is reality. This is the real world. Have any of you guys ever had this experience where you're a Christian, you're following Jesus, you're believing the promises of God, and then like, you watch a movie or a TV show or something, and as you're watching it, you start to like wonder which, what is real and what isn't real. Sometimes when I'm watching a movie, I'll, I'll get so sucked into the story that then I'll think about my actual life and some of these things that I believe. And I'm like, I have this weird, jarring, like existential crisis of like, oh my gosh, what do I even believe? And like, is this even real? Is this movie real? There's a hidden aspect of our hope. That's why sometimes we wake up and we don't have a ton of, ton of courage to live our life for Jesus. Because like Mary, it just seems like we're living an ordinary life. But I wanna show you from this mystery that, that it's, it's hidden, but it's unfolding. The promises of God are unfolding, before our very eyes. No one saw this encounter with Mary and Gabriel. It was just them, it was very ordinary, but very extraordinary at the same time. No one sees sometimes your, your moments of, of prayer and, and reading your Bible, the time when you share the gospel with your coworker, and it seems so ordinary that like nothing happened, like nothing happened, but I want you to know the promises of God, they're unfolding before our eyes. They're not totally invisible. And guys, we know more than Mary. We know more than Mary. We're we're talking about right now the real historical event of the incarnation, the virgin birth. Every promise God has ever made is now history or will be history every promise you can read your Bible and see so many promises he's made people have had to wait on live in that tension of the mystery but then they're fulfilled they become history and there's still some that we're waiting on and we can have confidence to believe the promises of God that they will become history one day as we participate in the mystery of them and there's one other prophecy From the the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, he says, This this person that's going to be born, this hero, this Messiah, he's going to be human, but he's also going to be Isaiah 9 6, mighty God. Mighty God. And so now we got to turn, lastly, to the, the glory of this promise, the glory of it. Pick it up in verse 35, or verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? How is this gonna be? I get that you just told me I'm gonna give birth to the Messiah, but how is that even possible because I'm engaged to be married and I'm not yet married? And what is the answer? Glory. Glory. God will do it. Verse 35, the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age, she also conceived a son and this is the sixth, sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. The language here is it's certain, but it's it's not exactly scientific. We can't exactly describe what's going to happen. It just says, God is going to overshadow you. God is going to do this. Glory is going to over-encompass this. How did the incarnation happen? Glory. God did it. Behold that. Look at that. See that. Normal, ordinary, a real womb, but glory. God did it. Here's glory number one I want us to ponder together. This is about God, and it's the glory of God's majesty wearing meekness. The glory of God's majesty wearing meekness. There's nothing as great as this. Isn't there something just on a human level that is is great about incredible strength being gentle for the sake of another? Right so in the animal kingdom we see these like ferocious creatures like like let's pick like a wolf right you got the wolf who who could devour you in an instant but will like pick up its little little uh they call them pups maybe like the baby baby wolves pick up its pup by the little skin on the back of the neck you know and gently just carry the pup around amazing power being gentle that's great we see somebody like rob pick up One of his little kids. He was he was holding Titus as we prayed earlier. Incredible strength, incredible power, being being gentle. Small picture. (laughs) I I don't. I didn't think that that was going to be funny, but (laughs) why am I saying this? Small picture of God's Majesty, wearing meekness. God's Majesty wearing meekness. So we have a king who becomes a servant, a lion who becomes a lamb. Those are very clear um, language that the Jews would have used to describe this Messiah, the the lion of Judah. We see he becomes the lamb on the cross. God in a manger. Let me give you just a couple. From Psalm 19, we see that the one whose hands made the universe would come through a birth canal eventually and and reach out. And one day, he'll, he'll even have that moment where he discovers his hand. Did you catch that? The hands that made the universe would one day discover his own hand as a baby. The one who sustains every breath, Colossians chapter 1, would one day be sustained by an umbilical cord in the womb. The one who knows the number of hairs on our head, Psalm 139, would come out with maybe not many on his. The one who would hold his people in his hand, John 10, would be cradled by a human mother. The one who would one day wipe away all of our tears, Revelation 21, probably cried when he was a little baby and needed to be comforted by his own mother. And finally, the one who would one day speak the most beautiful words. John chapter 6 calls these the words of eternal life, the words of ultimate reality, ultimate truth in human history, would himself have to learn to talk as a human. The babyhood of God, glory, majesty wearing meekness. And why did he do it? Did he do it just to, to show off? No, he did it for us, look up on the screens at Hebrews chapter two that explains this better than I can. This is why Jesus came as a baby. So we see him, Jesus, who for a little while, this is the incarnation, for a little while, he was made lower than angels, namely Jesus. We see him now crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because of the suffering of death that would happen at the end of his earthly life. Why? So that by the grace of God, he might taste death For everyone, Jesus became a man so that he would taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, don't skip past that, he, the creator of all things, that everything was made through and everything was made for, in bringing many sons to that same glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. He says, it was fitting. The scope of our problem of sin perfectly fits the shape of the incarnation. He had to be God. He had to be a man. That's what it says next. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. So we as people, we have flesh and blood. He himself likewise partake of the same things that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. John Calvin, he summarizes this greatly like this. He just says, who could swallow up death? Of course, of course, who could swallow up death but life itself? the author of life. Who else could do it? This is the glory of God in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The glory of the lion king of the universe offering himself up as a lamb on the cross. Immeasurably great. There's nothing greater than this. Behold it. Do you see it? The babyhood of God, God in the manger. Here's glory number two. This is lesser, but still amazingly great. And this one's more about us. So if we see the glory of God and his majesty wearing meekness, the second glory we see here, the second thing that is amazingly great is our own participation in his plans. We participate in the plans of God and we get this from Mary. She gives us a great pattern here, just like a miniature of the Christian life in her response to this. She says in verse 38, this is crazy, this is a mystery, this is grace, this is glorious. What am I gonna do? I see it, behold, verse 38, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be. Let it be to me according to your word. This is a pattern for us, let it be. You want to know what the Christian life is like, it's, it's let it be. It's, it's natural, it's supernatural. It's a real natural womb, a crazy promise that God is going to grow in that womb, and then you saying, let it be. Let it be to me according to that promise. Let it be to me according to that word. And so for us, for us, the Christian life, we're we're walking by faith in God's promises, just believing them. We're believing the ones that we see in scripture and past that are already history, and we're looking forward to the ones that have yet to be fulfilled. So what what is the natural, supernatural? What does the let it be look like? Just one one example. Guys, we live in a broken world. We live, we have friends and family that are hurting. That have, that have situations that they seem impossible to us. Of course, we can do things to help on a certain level, but do you have any, any of those people in your life right now, maybe this is you, that you just have a problem so great, a pain so deep, that it's, it doesn't seem like there's a real human solution to that problem. It doesn't seem like there's anything that you can really do about it. What do we do? What do we do? We enter in as a natural, normal human person, and we offer the supernatural hope of the gospel. We join in, we participate in the promises of God. So we're not the Messiah, we're not Jesus, but we point people to Jesus and we participate in miracles. Miracles all around us. That's a direct implication of Mary's response here. So behold, this is our last behold. Look at this, see this. Our hope comes from outside of us, not inside of us. Do you know what that means? Our hope, the hope of the world is not going to be generated from inside of humanity. It has to come from outside of us. So we are freaking out right now, humanity. We are, we are diving so deep into neurotechnology and all these different things to try to understand like at, at the cellular level, like what is going on. We're reaching out to Mars and other planets trying to figure out what is going on. Where is the hope for the world going to be? None of that is solving anything, let alone the brokenness of a human heart, because the news is, the hope is, the promise of hope is that hope comes from outside of us, not inside of us. It's God. It's the glory of God. God will do the impossible. Our hope is in God breaking in. Jesse's song, hope comes down. And what is our response but to give him our lives? To see it be moved and changed and give him our lives. So we're gonna close here uh, with some more singing, which I mean, as I looked at the passage this week, I'm like, I don't have a ton of really practical things to tell anybody to do based on this other than see it and then thank God we get to sing it. One of the songs we're gonna sing, I think it's right after um, I'm done, is called, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. Come behold the wondrous mystery. Guys, you live in a wondrous mystery. As mundane and ordinary as your life feels, it's not. It's not. It was the sixth month in Nazareth. Mary was an ordinary person and God broke in. Your life is not ordinary. You live in between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus. And at Christmas and in the incarnation, we're remembering that promise of hope. One of the lines from the song is this. It says, what a foretaste of deliverance, how unwavering our hope. What a foretaste. So maybe you need that this morning, a foretaste of deliverance. you know what a foretaste is? It's a taste of something before, right? You taste it, and then something better is coming. That, that is very real what this life is. We, we taste it now. We experience it now. We see the grace coming at us now, the wonder of the mystery now, the, the joy of the glory of God now, and we taste it now, but something better is coming. There is an even bigger deliverance coming, and so enjoy that while you sing. An unwavering hope. Unwavering, steady, solid, walking resolutely because of this promise of hope. So let's sing that together. After I pray, Heavenly Father, we are—we uh, don't want to miss Christmas this year. God, you've given us these these weeks to prepare during Advent, to to uh, as Rob said, to make room in our hearts for you. God, clear out our hearts right now. Help us sing. Help us. Help us even be be transported now a little bit into a different world, which we know is the true world, the world that that you made, that you're redeeming. God, encourage us as we sing and we look around and we see one another and we, we hear these words. Help us believe them as true. God, and we expect you to do miracles. Amen.